Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Well, and good morning and, and Merry Christmas. Hey, man, yeah, it's that week. Man, we just say it as many times as we can this week. I do hope for you a Merry Christmas. As a matter of fact, let's just take a moment and just lift up this week and, and Christmas Day to the Lord. Because I know we got all kinds of emotions and desires and things we want to see happen this week. So let's, let's go to the Lord about that, can we? Father, we just become before you in this moment. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity we've had to behold you. And to cry out, holy, holy, and worthy, worthy. Lord, there, there, are, there are things we want for this week ahead. Maybe it involves a relationship, a, a resolution of a situation. Maybe it's a gift, Lord. Father, as we walk through this week, I, I pray in every relationship. I pray in the gifts. I pray at the dinner table. I pray we behold you. And in all things, we cry, holy, holy, holy. I, I pray that in everything we do and everything we're a part of this week, we're acknowledging you and enjoying you and beholding our answer, beholding our Savior, beholding our King. And Lord, there's no doubt going into this week, some of us are carrying some, some difficult situations. Oh Lord, I pray in the very heart of those difficulties, we'll see your goodness and your worthiness and we'll cry holy. Lord, I do pray your peace, your presence fills our lives, fills our homes, and before us is a wonderful week with many of the things we hope makes it wonderful, but most of all, God, that we have you. May there be nothing more wonderful in our lives than that we have beheld the child. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Amen. Well, again, I do hope for you a great Christmas week. And if you're here and around, I hope you can join us for uh, our Christmas Eve services on Friday. We have 3.30 and 5 o'clock. And like always, Karen will have something for the kids and we'll just have a, a great time together. That's one of our favorite traditions here at the Heights. It's about a 50-minute service. So I know Christmas Eve is busy. People are coming in and out. And you've got places to be and traditions to hold, but uh, hopefully you can fit 50 minutes in there and uh, join us as we celebrate our, the birth of our Savior on that day. You know, as we come into Christmas week, for me, that's always a, a reminder of something special in my life, which this year just happens to be on Sunday. This Sunday, today is Karen and I's anniversary, so I need to wish her a happy anniversary. We've been married, yeah. We've been married 34 years now. It was, what, for almost 40 years ago. Uh, she was at an all-girls school, and I was at an all-boys school. Uh, and, but I somehow made a way over to the girls' school parking lot and asked her if she wanted to ride home. And here we are today. So uh, well, that was a pretty good ride home. But uh, we're sure excited. And y- y'all, y'all wish her a happy anniversary. I don't know if you congratulate her or condolences or... I'm pretty sure some level of hazard pay comes with being with me, but uh, we're sure excited to be able to celebrate that today. It, you know, thinking about Karen and I back in, in Houston, that's where we grew up. And prior to being married, uh, when I was growing up in Houston, uh, there was a, a donut shop that was 
on like my normal traffic pattern or my family's normal. I mean, we, you know, we drove by it all the time. That's what I'm trying to say. It was a Shipley's. I, they're not known out here. It's very similar to a Krispy Kreme, okay? It's magical. It's straight from heaven. And, and I, I wanted to stop at Shipley's. Not, not every day. That's, that's too much. But why not every other day? It, it seems right and good. And, but my mom and dad were not the biggest donut eaters in the world. And so we didn't, not only did we not stop every day, we didn't stop every other day. I'm not even, I don't remember when we stopped. It felt like we never stopped. And so somewhere along the way, it's, do y'all, y'all have like thoughts you remember having as a kid and they stick with you forever? So here's a thought I had. I think I was like nine or 10 years old. And, and I, I, I had this thought. When I grow up, I'm going to get a car. I'm going to Shipley's Donuts. That, that was my entire standard of growing up. I Very low standards of what I wanted in my life. But you know, because when you grow up, you're a big person and big people get to do what they want, right? And boy, are the little ones in for a surprise. But, but we do. We actually, I mean, we can get in the car and, and go to the donut shop. So, I mean, for years, that's what growing up for me was. Get a car, go to Shipley's Donut. That's all, that's all I needed to grow up because there's nothing better than growing up. But, you know, there are, there are a couple of places, at least two that I'm thinking of right now, where it's still pretty wonderful and maybe necessary to be a child. Like December. I mean, what's better than being seven or eight during this month and the whole buildup to December 25th? I mean, if you're seven, eight years old, this is, this is a magical time of life and, and year. I mean, that's, it's just wonderful to be a child. Another place, and maybe more than wonderful, kind of necessary, the kingdom of God. It didn't, just, didn't Jesus say, whichever one of you, whoever one of you wants to be in the kingdom of God, you've got to receive that like a child or you won't get in. Hmm. So today's message is about being a child. Today, today's message is for children. If you're not a child, you can't be a child, then it, this won't make any difference to you. It won't make any sense to you. And so I kind of to help the message, I thought either A, I can dress up like a child and that might look silly, or I could dress up like Mr. Rogers and, and then we'd all know we're, this is about children today. Okay? So thank you for the music. Today we're going we're gonna to look at eight-day-old Jesus. We're, we're concluding our six-week series in Christmas at Luke's. I wouldn't say we've done a deep dive, but we've done right ever is before a deep dive. We, we've spent six weeks now in, in a little almost two chapters, and today that brings us to eight-day-old Jesus and a couple of other children, Simeon and Anna. Let, let's look at them. Luke chapter 2 And I'm going to begin in verse 21. Luke 2, verse 21. And it says there, And at the end of eight days, when he, that's Jesus, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, 
Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit and into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, you're now letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Boy, that's a word of prophecy right there, isn't it? It it appears that Simeon has some vision, some understanding of the cross, what's going to happen at it, that Mary will be there. And as Jesus is pierced, so will Mary. So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. So, yeah, Anna and Simeon aren't quite children. Not like probably you thought of when I said a couple of other kids, Anna and Simeon. Not only are they not children, they're old. They're a lot of old. They're real old. But we'll come back to them in just a moment. Uh, You you know, what I want to do here, just for a second... These first few verses we read, the first two, three, four verses, I kind of want to look at those just by the last line that I read there in, in verse 39. Just that phrase, when they had performed everything according to the law. You know, all throughout history, and I think across cultures, there's a, a pretty common idea that rules are for you. Rule, rules are for common people, little people. Rules are for the masses, But rules aren't for the rich and powerful, are they? Rich and powerful kind of have a way of, you know, working their way around. Rules just don't apply to them. And in our culture, that means they've got money, they've got power, they've got attorneys, and they've got accountants. So they can just kind of navigate through the, through the rules. They don't, doesn't apply to them like it does you and me. And what I want us to notice here, folks, is that the most powerful being in the universe, the richest person in the universe, is doing everything that needs to be done. Now, somebody could say, well, now, wait a minute, time out. I mean, I get it. Little baby Jesus is God, but it's not Jesus who's doing this. It's not God who's doing this. Mary and Joseph. But what have we seen in Luke 1 and 2? If you were to also go to Matthew 1 and 2, where the Christmas story is also told, what you see is two people who are doing everything that God says to do. 
who, who are following everything like God says, do this next. I actually believe. I think they would have done it without him saying it, but I think he actually communicated, yes, even my son, even the son of God, I, I, I want you to do this. I want you to do all that is required. And you know, here we are meeting baby Jesus. We can fast forward and meet adult Jesus. And one of adult Jesus' first interactions is with John the Baptist. And he says, hey, John, I need you to baptize me. And, and John says what I think probably any of us would have said at that moment. Why would I baptize you? Shouldn't this be the other way around? Shouldn't you be baptizing me? And what is Jesus', is Jesus response? Let's do all that's required. Let's make sure all righteousness is covered. You know what, folks? God doesn't have one way for you and then another way for himself. One way for you and then one way for himself and, you know, a couple of his favorites. I don't know why. I just think that's important to see. I, I think that's important to notice. So now let's get back to our kids here, Simeon and Anna, a couple of kids in the faith. Now, when I call them that, and I know you know this, we're not calling them immature. We're not saying they haven't grown up yet. We're not saying, well, they're children. They just don't know, know a whole bunch. As a matter of fact, as I meet Simeon and Anna here, I'm kind of stunned by what they do know. I, I'm kind of stunned by the specificity of what they know about a baby. They know so much about this baby that they worship the child. That, that seems like a lot. I, I want to know, how did you know what you know about this baby? And, of course, I asked that question. Well, I mean, the, the passage told us how they know. It said the Holy Spirit revealed it to them. Now, I think this is wrong for me to say, but I'm just not satisfied with that answer. I want, I want to know more of what that looked like. I want to know what that sounded like. How did you get, Simeon, this kind of detail? I mean, like God, God speak and you're, you're taking dictation. How did you get the specifics of what you're saying about this baby? Because it is specific. He's not just saying, hey, your baby's going to grow up to be great. Hey, your baby is going to grow up and we're going to find out he's God. He's not making any general statements like that. Very specific, even really history-changing statements about a baby. How did, how did you get that? Now, you know, as we learn a little bit about Anna and Simeon here, clearly these are two very godly people, Right? Man, they're, they're godly, they're devout, they, they obey the rules. These are the two people, you know, that when you come to church, you know, you just look at them and say, man, they're just better than me, right? I mean, we all come to church and size people up, don't we? Yeah, sure we do, you know? Well, I'm better than them. <laughs> but but I'm, gosh, I think that might be the real deal right there. I do. I've got people I look at and think, man, they're, they're, just, they're just better than me. And I think that's the kind of people we're looking at with Anna and Simeon. I think when they walked into the room, when they walked into the worship, there was just a respect. These, these two are the real deal. They're, they're godly. They're faithful. And so when I find out, look, look how God used them in the story. Look how God used them in what he's doing. Man, he, he revealed. And you and I would say, well, well of course, because they're just that kind of people. And, you know, we say that meaning I could never be that. We don't look at them as a challenge to how do I become like them. We look at that as a, well, as an excuse to not try because I'll just never be that good. 
But this is why God revealed all this to them, because they're so good, right? Well, yes, but no, because really good people have the exact same problem as really bad people. They sin. You know what I think we get with Anna and Simeon? We get a picture of how an Old Testament person was saved. I I like to say we get a before Jesus faith in Jesus. They trusted in Jesus Christ. They trusted in God for their salvation. Now you say, where do you see all that and how how do you know all that? How is an Old Testament, when I say an Old Testament, Old Testament people are no different from you and me. When I say an Old Testament person, I'm just referring to somebody before Christ, okay? And the Bible profoundly, clearly, significantly teaches that we're saved only by Jesus. Only by his name can a person be saved. Jesus taught, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody Nobody before me, nobody after me, nobody out of the billions and billions of people born, nobody is going to see the Father. Nobody is going to have access to the Father without coming through me. I'm stunned by the people in our culture that call themselves Christians, that say I'm a follower of Christ, while at the same time believing there's a lot of ways to get into heaven. I chose Jesus. But there's, there's I mean... There's, you know, there's good people in the world and there's other religions. and, and what, Hey, if you want to believe that, that's a choice you can make. But you're not a follower of Christ. Because at that point, you are then rejecting who you call God and what he taught. Because he said, I am the only way to heaven. Very exclusive. Good news is it's open to everybody. There's absolutely nobody that cannot attain that way. Now, that teaching that truth of scripture boy that that raises a lot of questions i mean if we're being honest it makes us a little nervous makes us a little bit is that fair and we start there, there's a variety of questions and no my message today is not about all those questions but it is about one of them okay well if jesus is the only way what about all the people before jesus who did who didn't know his name well, now we've got Anna and Simeon. Now, Anna and, Anna and Simeon are right on the line, right? Okay, they're clearly seeing Jesus. They clearly now know his name. But the bulk of their life, the bulk of their faith, the bulk of their walk with God clearly happened without this baby being there. Clearly happened without them knowing the name Jesus. But they, no different than you and me, trusted in God for their salvation. They were not relying on themselves. And I can see that just by their posture in this chapter. They're waiting. They're waiting on God for an answer. They're waiting on God for salvation, which clearly means they didn't believe salvation was in them. Clearly means they were not depending on themselves. Oh, they're devout. They're religious. They're obeying rules. And they also know the sin that is in them. They weren't depending upon themselves. They weren't depending on the religion that they chose. They were depending upon God to send an answer. And when they beheld, oh, we sang that this morning, oh, behold him. When they beheld the child, they now knew the name. But do you realize, other than adding one word, Jesus, nothing about their faith changed. 
That nothing changed in their relationship with God. Nothing changed about what they knew about. They just now had a name to put with the answer that they were always depending upon God for. And boy, did they know a lot about that answer. I've said that already. I'm going to continue to say it. I'm stunned by what Simeon and Anna seem to know about a baby. As a matter of fact, let look up here real quickly. Let's just kind of run through the, the list of what they know about this baby Jesus. So he knows Jesus' salvation for all people. Remember, he's Jewish. This is a Jewish Messiah, but he clearly communicates, hey, this isn't just salvation for Jews. It's for Jew and Gentile. It's for, it's for all people. He knows salvation for all. God is working in light of his plan and promise. He knows that where there is darkness, Jesus will be light. Where there is brokenness and defeat, Jesus will be glory and victory. He knows that Mary's heart will be broken in how people respond to her son. He knows that Judaism is going to divide on this child. You, you know, I mean, today we have, I mean, I, I think the best way to, while we're certainly related, you, you have what the world would look at as two distinct religions, right? You have Judaism and you have Christianity. But you do realize those early followers of Christ, Peter, James, John, Paul, they never thought they stopped being Jews, they came into this Jewish and they left it Jewish. They were following the Jewish Messiah. But in time on this child, it would divide into what we now see as Judaism and Christianity. As a matter of fact, this whole idea of people rising and falling. Now, this is just my opinion. I'm not teaching that this is what the passage says. I'm just saying to me, that's like the most important line there. Because you just take out of all of the billions of people ever born. Or maybe still will be born. Every single soul is defined on what they do with Jesus. Some will, on Jesus, ascend and rise into a relationship with God in heaven. And others will fall. They'll descend into condemnation and a relationship with Satan and hell. With all the ways we look at each other, the size each other up, judge each other, all the ways we identify, folks, heaven, heaven divides on two things. What you've done with Jesus, what you have not done with Jesus. Boy, that's a, that just seems like a lot to know about a baby, doesn't it? That seems a lot to say about a baby. And that's why, I know, I know, I know God, the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. But what did that look like? How, this, how did he know to write and say all these different things? What, what did that mean and look like? But you know, folks, as, as, as overwhelmed, as stunned as I am about what Simeon, what Anna knew about Jesus, I'm more stunned by what they didn't know about Jesus. Do you know they didn't know he'd walk on water? They didn't know he'd raise Lazarus from the dead. They didn't know that he'd use a little boy's sack lunch and feed 10, 15,000 people. They didn't know, like, what would actually come out of his mouth, the things he would teach and say, like, the Father and I are one. I've got up there, you know, don't know about the cross, don't know about the resurrection. I probably need to elaborate there a little bit. I think they probably did. I think just by the statement he made about Mary, right? So I think they have some concept of a sacrifice, 
of a crucifixion. I think they have a concept of a resurrection because there's Old Testament prophecy to that. But when I say they didn't know, they're, they're not seeing it like you and I see it. They're, they're not seeing it with the detail and understanding. They, don't, they maybe don't know that he'll actually appear to over 500 people at different occasions and times and spread out over a, a region. They don't, they don't know all that. Now, folks, look at that list. Do you know what that represents? Proof. They know by what the Holy Spirit revealed. They know by what God said who the child was, what the child was going to be. But other than God saying it, they have no proof of that. And they don't seem to need it, do they? They don't don't seem to be looking for... Matter of fact, they... They run right on by proof and just get right on to praising God and living and acting in light of what they believe about who and what this child is. Isn't that what the faith of a child is? I just trust the one I love. You know, when I look at Anna and Simeon, I realize how closely related love and faith are. Two different words, two different things going on. But I think they just so profoundly love God, there's no life where they don't trust every word out of his mouth and then live in light of that. You know, when I say that, folks, I'm not trying to suggest that it's wrong to want proof, that that it's wrong to want evidence, that it's, hey, I want to just help me connect the dots here, help me understand this and and why that. I, I actually think that's part of what it means to be created in the image of God. I don't believe we evolved from a cell. I believe God created me. He created me with a mind to think that thinks very distinctly than all the rest of creation. It's part of being made in his image. And with a thinking mind, we're going to ask questions. We're going to want to understand. We're going to want to see dots connected. So I don't think that, that it's a lack of faith of a child to want to see that. Here's what, as I'm trying to, what's the faith of a child? What are Anna and, and Simeon showing us? Is they accept the evidence. Think how much of humanity looks at the overwhelming, and I would add the word scientific. You know, we, we use the word scientific as if, it's, as if it's clear fact, right? If we're saying something is scientific, it's true because it's just a fact. We, you can just see that. Of course, what have we learned the last two years? And that's not just a COVID statement. There's a variety of places where we see science shifting gears, going in new directions, and it has nothing to do with anything they learned in a lab. Oh, they respond to pressure and voices and politics and attitudes just like the rest of us. I mean, they're not always doing... Okay, that's a whole other message. I'm sorry. It's Christmas. Stop it. (laughs) Folks, you know, I've said a lot here. Our faith is based on evidence. There's nothing wrong with wanting that evidence. And when God gives evidence, we take steps of faith on that evidence. But when I don't have the faith of a child, when I don't love, then I actually think I have the ability to dismiss the evidence God's given. See, a child doesn't do that. Uh, uh, I, 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 you know what? Because of 
how smart I am and how spiritual I am and how really much more evolved than God I am and I'm much more evolved than his word, I can look at what God has said and done. I can look at how God has proved it and say, you know, that's clearly that's not evidence. I reject that. I dismiss that evidence. That's, that's not the faith of a child. That's the arrogance of a sinner. That's the arrogance of one who believes themselves to be God. So see, now I can judge God and the evidence he's given. Now, a whole other direction we go. It's not just that I say none of God's evidence counts, but I can also look at God's evidence and say, okay, maybe I accept that evidence, but it's not the evidence I want. If I'm going to believe in you, I need to see you do and fill in the blank. By the way, we all kind of struggle with that, don't we? If I'm going to believe in you, I'm going to trust you, then this is what you need to do. Otherwise, I can dismiss you as being God and go back to my real problem that I think I'm God. See, wanting evidence, wanting to understand, wanting to work through it, that's not a lack of faith. But when I look at the evidence and I look at God's word, it it is a step of faith, of trusting like a child, because I love him, that what he says is right and what he says is good. You you know, folks, you and I can be just like Anna and Simeon. We, We can be in the company. We can be a people that God wants to use in his story. And when I say just like Anna and Simeon, I don't mean that the goal is when I come to church, everybody says, well, they're just better than me. (laughs) That's not the goal. But you, you and I can be just like Anna and Simeon. You say, how? We work on having the faith of a child. Folks, at no point in our Christian journey does it ever stop being about the faith of a child. I love what, what Simeon says here. He says, I can die now. Now, we all know. I, mean, I don't think it takes any real explanation here. He's not saying that because he's discouraged with life, is he? That's not a death wish when he says that. He's saying, I am in beholding the name of the answer I've always depended on. I'm so full. I'm so complete. I'm so satisfied. I mean, if I die right now, all's good. If I, if I die, I mean, listen, if I live for another 20 years, it's all gravy. It's all just extra. I, I don't need any of it. Now, is he saying, I've got no problems in life? I've got no wants? If you live in a broken world, you have problems. If you live in a broken world, you've got wants, you've got desires, you want some things to change. I am confident Simeon did too. But he worked on that and he operated on all those things from a heart that said, if I get this resolved, awesome. If I don't, I've still beheld the baby. I sure would like to get this for Christmas, but if I don't, I've still beheld the baby. And you can just go on and on and on and on and on for a, for a thousand things, right? I, I've beheld Christ. That's enough. Now, when I look at that in them, I want I, you know, I think, ah. I mean, I want that to be true about me, don't you? I'm assuming most of us here. that I want Christ to be enough. And when I'm sitting in here, I want it. And for sometimes I, if I squeeze real hard, I really feel it. But then I get out there and I have that interaction with that person or I get out there and you get that report, or you get out there and there's this bad surprise, 
And all of a sudden now, I've long lost how much Christ is enough. And no, I, yeah, yeah, Christ is enough. But I need this. <laughs> I need it right now. Help. H- how did Anna and Simeon get to that place where there was that fullness and that satisfaction of Christ? And I see two things in their lives. And uh, I tell you, I love when, when God says, hey, look, this has always been there and you've never seen it. Because <laughs> after I've, I've, well, been in Luke 1 and 2, my uh, decades of my life, taught on it before, studying it again this time. It wasn't until about the end of this week. I've already written the sermon, already working on the sermon, and I noticed there's two things about Anna and Simeon that I think help them develop this faith, have a fullness in Christ, and then all of a sudden it dawned on me, wait a minute, those same two things are in Mary and Zechariah and Elizabeth. All five of our major characters, and I say five, there's actually seven major characters in Luke 1 and 2, right? I didn't mention Jesus. He's pretty significant in the story, but I'm I'm kind of setting him out as a little bit different. And Gabriel, he's also significant in the story and also a little different from you and me. So if we just set those two aside, there's five people here that are a major characters in God's story here, and they all have these two things in common. The first one is an incredible engagement with the Bible. Every one of them speaks God's word. Now, if I just stop right there, I just say, okay, okay, these five, they knew a lot about the Bible, probably had a good bit of it memorized, understood biblical ideas. No, 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 no. What I just described is much more than knowing a lot about the Bible. When anything in front of them happened, they processed that event, they understood that event, they interpreted that event, and they responded and took their next steps in that event through what the Scripture said. I think today maybe a term we would use is a biblical worldview. I'm looking at everything through the lens of Scripture, and that guides how I define this moment, that guides how I respond to this moment, to which you and I, a lot of us, way too many of us, are going to say, ah, you know, I know the Bible's probably important. I'm, I've just never been a good Bible reader. I'm not even a good reader. I'm not good at memorizing. You know, I find the Bible hard to understand. Could I be mean just for a second? It's Christmas week, I know. I'll say Merry Christmas again in a moment. The reason we're not good with the Bible is because we're lazy with the Bible. We have so little devotion and commitment to understand it, and we don't care. I'm not suggesting we spend all of the time that we spend with TV that we would spend that same amount of time with the Bible. But if we just a fraction of what we give to cable and to Internet and to stream, just, just a fraction... I'm not suggesting we stop looking at social media. I'm saying if we just gave a fraction of the time we give to social media, if we gave that to God's Word, I don't think you could even begin to understand where your life would be. And, and that statement doesn't mean, oh, if you'd been in God's Word, you, you know, there wouldn't be cancer and there wouldn't be divorce and there wouldn't be this death and there wouldn't be these problems right now. No, they, they, those things could all very much well still be there. 
Oh, but the power and the peace and the joy and the fullness by which you work through all of those things that are a product of a broken world, I I don't even think we can begin to imagine. I mean, if if I want to be a part of like the company that Anna and Simeon keep, there's a great engagement with the Word of God. A second thing I see in all five is there's a great engagement with God's people. God's people, God's house, God's work, however you want to define that. But when I look at any of these lives, that's where they are. Does that mean they never did anything else or went anywhere else? Well, now with Anna, that might be the case. That's kind of what it said about her, right? (laughs) She'd been married seven years, her husband died, and boy, she spent, looks like the next 68 five, seven years right there in the temple. She never went anywhere and did anything. Okay, she's a little different. But the rest of them, my guess is they went out to eat and they went home and they had to go to work and they had to do some of these other things. But their life was lived here. This is where they lived. This is where they drew on life, was engaging and working with and through and in God's people, God's work, God's house. Now, we're at Christmas. It's not New Year. It's not time for a New Year message. But I, I just, I look at that and I, I don't know how every one of us is not asking ourselves right now. Wherever we are in the journey, man, what does my engagement with God's word and God's people need to look like in 2022? In light of what I'm carrying, in light of what I'm doing, in light of what I want to figure out, the question doesn't imply you're in a bad place with God's word and God's people. When I look at the profoundness of what those two things are in these lives, I just think it'd make any of us, wherever we are, hey, where, where can I be? What can I be? Now, I know right now somebody's thinking, oh, my gosh, he just spent 30 minutes saying, you need to read your Bible more and you need to go to church more. If you think all Anna and Simeon just showed us is you need to read your Bible more and you need to go to church more, then you've been been asleep. (laughs) Wake up. Hey, if you read your Bible a minute a week, all you got to do is two minutes and that's more. It has nothing to do with more. I seriously doubt Anna and Simeon ever had the thought, I need to read the scriptures more, I need to go to church more. I doubt they ever had that thought. They just were so in love with God. And God in his word said something to them about his word and about his people. And that's where I want you to live life. And with the faith of a child, they said, okay. I don't need any more. And they did. You know, folks, what Anna and Simeon are showing us is not something that just a, a precious few saints, those weird people that just live in a place, to, you know, they just walk six inches off the ground. None of the rest of us can really achieve that or do that. That's not what God shows us anywhere in the Bible. That's not what God shows us with any person in the Bible. Anna and Simeon lived a life that every single one of us can live. If we wanted to. If we would take on the faith of a child 
which means I'm going to take God at his word. I'm going to love his word. I'm going to love his people. I don't know what all that means. I don't know what all that's going to look like. That's what 2022 is going to be about for me. And I'll just see if God's telling the truth. Amen? Let's pray. Father, just come before you in this moment. Gosh, just talking here for 30 minutes or more. And I'm, I, I still, sometimes I wonder, am I grasping what the, the faith of a child is? You seem to suggest it's kind of important. I know children don't seem to show a lot of arrogance and pride. No, children don't make a ton of demands and judgments. Father, I pray I would look at your word and I pray I would look at your people. And I, and I don't see a duty. I don't see a rule. I don't see something I need to do more of. I see a path to life path to life, to joy, to peace, to power, to wisdom. Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for each of us here. I I, I want what Simeon and Anna had, an absolute fullness and satisfaction in you. And in that fullness and satisfaction, I'll work out all the things I'm not so satisfied with with in this life. Holy Spirit, would you help me and would you reveal to me just like you did Simeon and Anna? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.